0: Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking podcast. I'm your host, as always, Chris McDaniel, a political reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. I'm joined today by a sick, slightly
1: yes, Jason Rosenbaum. I'm I'm a little nasally today, but I'm a champion. So I'm he here. He's a champion.
0: He's here to <laughs> he's here to spread all of all of his germs along to the rest of the Politically Speaking podcast. <laughs> One of those being?
2: Yeah, Joe Manis with the St. Louis Beacon. And I'm still getting over my cold, so chances are I infected half the staff.
0: <laughs> well, Jason's immune system must have been down because he was stressed out because of some breaking news that happened on Monday, which was? It wasn't just me
1: who was stressed out. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: we all, yeah. It, was, uh, it was something that had been in the works argue, pot- potentially for a while. Right. Um, U.S. rep. Joanne Emerson, the dean of the uh, Republican delegation in Congress from Missouri. In fact, the dean of the Missouri House delegation in Congress um, announced on Monday that she will be stepping down by early February to take this new job as the head of the uh, I want to make sure I get the proper name. It's the National uh, Rural Electric Cooperative Association. I believe that's correct. And um, this job. Uh, deals with the rural, rural electric cooperatives provide electricity in rural areas. And, of course, Emerson's district, much of it is rural, but not totally. Uh, under the redrawn lines, it goes up into northern – goes into part of Jefferson County. Mm-hmm. Well, this was a surprise because she just won with 72 percent of the vote on November 6th. And there's all sorts of speculation about whether or not uh, she had been in the running for this job or knew about this job before the election she says that she didn't but that it did come up soon afterwards and that it became just too good of an opportunity to pass and she cites the work that it does now this other part of it is is that there's also the pay that the uh her job as the ceo will be at least the guy she's replacing made uh in salary and benefits 1.9 million which is a tad (laughs) more than the uh Congressional salary, which is under two hundred thousand. Yeah,
1: that's a lot of Xboxes. That is a lot of Xboxes. Yes,
2: and, and of course, she then uh, her announcement. Uh, two things: uh, she's one of the few moderates left in the U.S. House of either party. So there's a lot of talk about what that means. But it also starts this whole whole uh, roller coaster, merry go round, musical chairs—you name it—here back in Missouri of who might replace her.
1: And we've been dreaming of this scenario for years. I mean, when Emerson was thinking about running for governor in 2008, I actually wrote like a who will replace Emerson sort of thing. That was four years ago. So I think people have been speculating on who is going to replace her because there are just so many prominent political figures from Southeast Missouri area that could take her place. And that's what makes this speculation so much fun for for people like
2: Koss. Well, and there had been speculation a couple years ago even that she might be taking a private job. And then a year ago, she was part of the very short list of people who were Republicans who were being encouraged to consider to run for the U.S. Senate against Claire McCaskill. And she had bowed out. But there were a number who felt that she was one of the strongest, if not the strongest Republican who could have challenged McCaskill successfully and who wouldn't have gotten caught in the illegitimate rape. But that that said, we have a whole bunch of names. Um, we have, first and foremost, Lloyd Smith, uh, who is executive director for the Missouri Republican Party, who is former chief of staff to Emerson and who knows her, Who knows the family quite well. Either Emerson or her late first husband, Bill Emerson, has been the, mem- the congressperson from southeast Missouri for close to 30 years. So this is a major major change, and and Smith has acknowledged that he is looking at it. This is an unusual case in that uh, a the party committee for the Republican and the Democrat, and I think the Libertarian, would each get to pick a nominee, and they would run in a special election, which the governor would call. And there's some quibbling over how soon he would have to call. It, but in any effect, that's the basics. Yes. But Lloyd isn't the only one out there. Jason. Who's so
1: the... let me list the amount of people who have expressed interest <laughs> since Monday. Lieutenant Governor Peter Kinder, who, if he was selected, would s- create an entire new domino effect uh, of who to replace for lieutenant governor. Because let's just be honest here. Whoever gets the Republican nomination here is going to be heavily favored to become Emerson's successor.
2: Yeah in twenty fourteen. So
1: there's there's him. There's soon to be former state senator Jason Kral of of Cape Girardeau. There's soon to be former state senator, soon to be State Representative Kevin Ingler of Farmington. There's state senator Dan Brown of Rolla. There's Todd Richardson of Poplar Bluff. There's Jason Smith of Salem.
2: There's former State Treasurer Sarah Steelman.
1: Yep. There, there is all sorts of county politicians in in Cape area and elsewhere.
2: And former, I mean, former state house speaker Steve Tilly is in that district too. Republican.
1: Yes.
0: So have you know, yet to hear from Ed Martin. No, no press release yet. Uh, throwing his although he noise.
2: doesn't live in the district, but of course he wouldn't have to. No, he, he wouldn't to have there. to. But the, actually, the talk on the Democratic side, there's speculation over whether or not Russ Carnahan might be looking at it, because you know his seat was in effect carved up. And he lost a uh, primary against Lacey Clayton. And there the is some
1: logic. Yeah, there is some logic behind that. And there's part that.
2: of his district in the new age.
1: And also he ran for that district back in, I believe, 1980- 19, or 1990, I think. Yes. I don't know the exact 1990, date. 1990, right. Because he is originally from Rolla, but he relocated to South St. Louis and became a congressman there. So when you think about the, the likely successors, I think the first two to come up are Smith and Kinder, just right. because— You know, Smith has been kind of speculated as Emerson's successor for a while.
2: And he he has connections to all of the donors and the uh, Republican operatives since it's going to be the party picking Mm -hmm. a nominee. So he might arguably might have the inside track. But then
1: let's say Smith decides, you know, I may have wanted to do this years ago, but this is just not my time. I would say that Kinder has to be the next serious consideration for that seat. I mean, he's won statewide office three times this time under very difficult circumstances. This time he would be in a district basically that he could run with for in perpetuity without mm-hmm. facing a serious democratic challenge. And you know, he was state senator in in the most populous part of the district of Cape Girardeau and all the surrounding counties. So he has that experience. And I think that, you know, after Lloyd Smith, Kinder has to be the next logical option. Now, in the event that both of them don't want to do it, I mean, I think all bets are off. You could have right. a situation where somebody who's not from Cape gets it, someone like Todd Richardson or Jason right. Smith or, you know, somebody somebody along that realm. But so,
2: I, I think it's more likely, at least at the moment, that both of them do want it. So then it depends who has the more powerful connections. I mean, Kinder's yeah. uh, family has the newspaper operation down there. So there is uh, a lot of speculation about that.
1: But but yeah,
2: there and there are there is some talk that Kinder has been not happy with some aspects of the state party because of the fact that he ended up having this nasty primary with Lager, and spend a lot of money in it, and he lost a lot of his major donors and the whole um, controversy over the stripper he used to know, and so. It's unclear. I mean, the party I think technically wouldn't be endorsing anybody, but I would think behind the scenes, yeah, would probably. And you have to wonder that
1: the the, the question is: Are they going to choose somebody who's going to prevent people who don't get the nomination from running in twenty fourteen? Like, I don't know. For I think Lloyd Smith could be someone like an Ann Wagner who isn't from former elected office, but could just raise so much money that they kind of crowd people out. But you know, if you don't if, if that doesn't materialize and someone like that comes you could have a free for all in fourteen where people like Crowl, Engler, Richardson, Jason Smith all run, right. it becomes kind of a regional free for all. And you could have a situation where the person who got the nomination and was in Congress for a year and a half doesn't go back after that.
2: But there's also the legal fight. Okay, there's a legal question. If Peter Kinder gets it, Yes. Initially, everybody thought that Governor Jay Nixon would would appoint his uh, replacement since that's true for the other statewides. But there is a wrinkle in the state law. Jason, do you want to talk there about is, that?
1: There is a specific state statute that excludes the lieutenant governor from being appointed by the governor if there is a vacancy because there's an article in the Constitution that says the governor chooses – gets to pick all the, the the vacancies unless prescribed by law. There is something in statute that says that, but there is not a clear succession process. So there's this argument that since there's not a succession process, it devolves back to that amendment it can because there has been instances in the past where the governor did appoint lieutenant governor. Correct.
2: Most recently... Uh, 12 years ago
1: when uh, roger wilson appointed joe maxwell to fill out the last two months of that term
2: of roger wilson's term because roger wilson had automatically became governor upon the death of now McCarty. there is one hype
1: but i mean the legislature if it was the writing was on the wall that kinder was going to get the nomination you could have the legislature pass a law that spells out a succession process i.e lieutenant governorship would have to be filled by a special election even if nixon vetoed something like that because he wants to keep the Give it de- put it in Democratic hands. I mean, that's the type of thing where a supermajority matters, and they would probably override them on that universally if the writing was on the wall and Kinder was going to get yeah, the nomination. Yeah, there could
2: arguably be a le- legal fight. So there's one theory that there's going to be a lot of pressure from the GOP for Kinder not to do it just because they, don't, they want to avoid this. Yeah.
0: Well, as an interesting aside in the Emerson <laughs> situation, uh, it's worth noting that the organization she's now leaving for uh, was the number one contributor to her campaign over over the years with nearly eighty thousand, but
2: yeah, which from a congressional's perspective isn't a huge amount of money. No, but it's it, not. But it is number one. Right. Yeah. But now I, I do want to get in before we segue out. Is uh-huh. that, is is my little remembrance about oh yeah Emerson Emerson, who's um, been around a while. Joanne Emerson is is one of the more funner um, politicians to cover. I mean, because she tends to be rather real. If you get her at a political event, she usually will respond to questions and talk to you. Well, at the 2000 presidential convention in Philadelphia, this is for the Republicans, uh, I was working for the post-dispatch then. And myself and the uh, post-dispatch Washington bureau chief, uh, John Sawyer, who also has moved on to another job, but anyway, John and I were both at this delegate reception for the Missouri delegation, and Emerson was there with her husband, her current husband. That's the other wrinkle in this. Ron Gladney, who is a uh, major labor lawyer in the St. Louis area and also a Democrat, which is all that's that long has been an irritant to some con- conservatives since she married Gladney in the late nineties. Well, bottom line was uh, she and her husband snuck. Sawyer and I into this high-level Republican fundraising event. It was their idea. They thought, just so we could see it, just so we could see what goes on, we had to be careful and not show our notebooks because reporters were getting thrown out right and left. And I had to go into the ladies' room and to a stall every time I wanted to write notes. And at the time, Newt Gingrich was the speaker, and he came over to the table, and he's talking to us. And and it was rather uh, funny. And I actually got outed by uh, Major St. Louis donor Sam Fox, who was at another table with his wife and happened to see me and um, Sawyer and came over and gave us a very pleasant hard time and let us know that he had just had a New York Times reporter tossed out, but that he would (laughs) ignore it. And he actually gave us a good story. Um, And it it, it was just for us to get a sense of what goes on at some of these really high-level fundraising events at presidential conventions. And that was actually, it sounds funny, but actually from a reporter's perspective, you don't often get a chance to see that, Mm -hmm. you know, just just to kind of watch and see what what goes on. But it is is one of my fondest memories of uh, uh, Congresswoman Emerson, and I've never told it because I was told not to, but now that she's leaving, I don't think she cares.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I bet she cares a lot.
0: (laughs) Phones are already ringing. (laughs) or let's move on now to Medicaid expansion and sort of where are we now, Jason? It's well, something that's going to be a contentious issue for the state legislature was, for yeah, the foreseeable future. I think that's
1: putting it mildly. So <laughs> we came up from last week, we talked about a lot of the, the political ramifications of that. And Joe and I kind of worked together on this story that came out yesterday, or actually today, Yes, um, about kind of how... You know, you have this the, these group of medical providers, the Missouri Hospital Association being the most prominent, who are need to going to be convince skeptical lawmakers to basically turn away from their positions on Phil- expanding Phil-
2: management. Yeah, the philosophical position, because the hospitals contend that this um, that many rural hospitals who depend on Medicaid, the federal pay and and federal money to help cover the uninsured. Some of that federal money is going away under the Affordable Care Act, and they're saying if Medicaid expansion doesn't happen, they're going to be left with no money at all, and then they'll have to close. I mean, that that's the backdrop they're using. I yeah. didn't mean to interrupt. No, to that was
1: a good backdrop. And the challenge for a lot of the people that want to expand Medicaid is something that I kind of touched on last week, is that they're, while a lot of the people who were part of the 2005 Medicaid cut fights are termed out of office. A lot of the veterans remain. I I did some counting over the last couple of days, and there are 14 Republican lawmakers in the Missouri Senate who voted in 2005 to cut Medicaid very deeply. And that includes someone like Rob Schaaf, a St. Joseph Republican and, and a, a physician. physician who not only voted to do that for philosophical reasons, but Pressure from someone like the Hospital Association doesn't phase him because he's been a longtime critic of the way hospitals operate. So you have – I I used him as an example mainly because that's the type of obstacle they're going to have to get around if they want to do this, especially in the Senate where a couple of people objecting to things can basically kill a bill, and you're going to have a situation where it's not just going to be Schaff who's against it. It's going to be a lot of people who've had these – philosophical issues for a long time, as well as people who ha- weren't in the House who don't agree with it either. So, I mean, that's just the challenge that these providers have to do to, to convince people otherwise. It's a very steep one.
2: Yeah, because the the point of the story is that while we've talked about the fact that the governor, Jay Nixon, endorsed expansion last week, frankly, in the, in, in, in the opinion of many, that any legislative movement to go support in favor of the Medicaid expansion, that will be propelled not by the governor, right. who's a Democrat, and their Republican leaders. If there's any change made, it will be because of the medical industry or others in the business industry who decide that the state needs to be participating in the expansion since the federal government's going to pick up all the... Tab for three years, and because some some Republicans in other states that had been resistant are, are are softening their opposition a little. Not in every state, but in some states. Yeah. But but the the point is, it's not going to be uh, in my view, it's not going to be Nixon versus the legislature on this. It's going to be the legislature versus the medical community, and it's whether or not. I mean, the members of the medical community who support the expansion, I want to make that clear.
1: So it's going to be something to watch. But, I mean, as I said just a few minutes ago, I think proponents of this have their work cut out for them, I mean, just from a practical standpoint. I don't want – again, as I said last week, I don't want to quote – I don't want to say never – because Justin Bieber told us never to say never.
2: And and we're just observers. We're
1: just observers. We can't predict the future. I do want to make one clarification of something that I said last week that was pointed out by (laughs) incoming Senate President Pro Tem Tom Dempsey. Um, I mentioned or suggested last week that Proposition B money, I think it was Proposition B from the cigarette tax, I might have gotten the proposition wrong, could have been used to cover Medicaid expansion. It was delegated specifically for um, education purposes and smoking cessation. There was nothing in it that would have gone to Medicaid. Now,
0: in the sense, of, yeah, could the legislature yeah.
1: change the law to do that? I mean, that's hypothetically true. But I did want to point that out, that, you know, when when one of the most powerful legislators in the state point <laughs> point something out from the politically speaking podcast, I feel we should be accountable and just make sure that. What we say is clear. So. And,
2: and thanks, sir, for listening. Yes. Thank, <laughs> Thank you very you much, sir,
1: for listening.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, if
0: you've been watching cable news recently, you've probably been seeing Senator Claire McCaskill. She's been on Rachel Maddow's show. I think she was Hardball. on like, Hardball. She, yeah, Chris and then Chris
2: Matthews. And she's also been on Joe, Scar- Joe Scarborough. What is that
0: called? Joe in the Morning?
2: Or something? Morning Joe. Morning, morning Joe, Joe. And she's yeah. also been on NBC's Meet the Press, which is like yeah. the big Mm-hmm. Sunday show. She's been everywhere in the last week. And I don't half. think she's
1: been on the today show because all they're talking about is the royal pregnancy or Jeff Rossin is scaring people. I'm, <laughs> I'm
0: still looking for the Missouri politics connection to it so that I can start writing about it so we can get some hits for for the royal pregnancy. Please don't. <laughs> no. It'll be on beyond November. But, 7, I'm but sure.
2: I think that that McCaskill's appearances, of course, she she's basically been presenting the Obama administration and the Democratic view, primarily the Democratic view, regarding the whole fiscal cliff fight, of, and as far as which taxes need to be increased or what cuts need to be made, and and her stances have been pretty much what she said during the campaign. But it, but what is interesting is her visibility that she has become one of she's the, everywhere, even though she's not in the Senate leadership per se. Mm-hmm. She has become a very visible player, and part of it. Uh, I suspect it's because of her successful, large, significant uh, victory on November 6th against Republican Todd Akin. It seems like the uh, Senate Democratic leadership has decided to have her uh, uh, as among the small groups that are really um, out there.
0: She's been on a PR campaign for her wartime amendment uh, that was part of the NDAA, um, and and what she's doing is she – She's touting this amendment that puts restrictions on the amount of contracting that we do during the wartime. Private contracting. On private contracting.
2: She's been a critic of that ever since she got back in, ever since she got in Congress in got It's been something she's working on
0: for a long time and, and that she's been, been touting a lot since it passed the Senate. Now it goes on. To a conference committee where it'll be reconciled with the House version, which does not include her amendment. And this morning in a conference call, she went so far as to say that if it is if it ends up not being deci- not being included after the conference, it will be due to lobbyists. So she's taking a very strong stance against this. She's going on a PR campaign, making herself very visible in support of it, so that people who are against it know that she is coming after them, well, <laughs> essentially.
2: Right, right, because obviously her big uh, – the opposition is primarily the House leadership w- right. since the House is under Republican control. Yeah,
1: and I do recall her bringing this up during the campaign as one of her selling points. You know? Very often, yeah. So it wasn't just explaining why Todd Akin was you mm-hmm. know, an unsuitable <laughs> candidate in between – those types of messaging. She was pointing out the things that she was focusing on in Congress, and this was definitely one of them. So
0: Absolutely. And that should just about do it for us here at the Politically Speaking Podcast. You can always find our stories at beyondnovember.org. My stories are at stlpublicradio.org. And Joe and Jason's stories are at stlbeacon.org. Um, you can find me on Twitter at at CSMcDaniel. You can find Jason Rosenbaum's Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. And Joe Manny's. Jay Manny's. We'll be back next week with more political stories. Until then, so long. So long. So long.